it's this time. It's at the discretion of the parents. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Please stand. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Thank you, Krista. And you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your precious word this morning. Would you please open our hearts, our minds, to hear what you are saying to us. Open the eyes of our hearts to see your grace in a sharp light. And draw us to yourself, O Lord, we pray. Make us hungry for your word. Help us to remember the words of Jesus so that we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. Make us truly hungry, O Lord. And we do pray through Jesus, our access. Amen. So in our ongoing sermons through Ephesians, we're into chapter 3. And my title is Truly Captivating, Truly Captivating. Paul is a prisoner. He's a captive. He's made captive. Uh, Our text says, for this reason, I, Paul. And actually, it's kind of an um, interruption. This is a letter, and and it's okay to interrupt yourself when you're writing a letter. Uh, For this reason, I, Paul. Paul, and that he gets back to that thought in verse 14. See down in verse 14, for this reason. Uh, what he was launching into was, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, but this little paragraph, and we're taking a half of it this week, Lord willing, and finish it up next week. We're, we're looking at just verses 1 through 6, as you can see on the slide. Uh, 
this little, Paul inter interrupts himself, and it's a beautiful interruption. Many of the interruptions of, of the writings are, are gorgeous and, and delicious, and this is a delicious, gorgeous one. It, it's very profound. Uh, Paul is hugely significant to what we believe. God used him uh, in a mighty way. He is the author of uh, uh, most of the letters, most of the books in uh, the New Testament are written by the Apostle Paul. And he's the, the great theologian of the New Testament. And he's the least likely guy to do this. Because he wasn't chosen by Jesus while Jesus was alive on the earth. In fact, he grew up in a staunchly Jewish home. He was a, he was a Pharisee, which was like the, the most intense. In fact, his word is zeal. He was zealous. He's the kind of guy who's just a little bit unnerving to be with, you know? Like, what is this guy doing, you know? Uh, he's a little too excited about this stuff. Um, but I'll tell you, it's truly captivating. The stuff is truly captivating. But he was captivated by this tradition that grew out of the law of Moses. And that was his whole life to the point where it, if it was threatened, they wanted to be militaristic. Uh, they wanted to weaponize their faith. And he would go after, uh, like, like Phineas of old, Phineas was one of their heroes. Who's Phineas? Well, there was a big apostasy going on in Israel, and it had to do with marrying uh, and having uh, sexual affairs with un, uh, unbelieving women. And uh, I'm not going to even tell you the rest of the story, okay? Because it's not rated PG. It's something much worse than that. But Phineas took on the, the problem with zeal and stopped the progress of this heresy that was going on. And, and that was one of their heroes. We know this actually from uh, um, uh, textual evidence uh, of this period of time. I've just been reading a great book uh, by N.T. Wright about the Apostle Paul's life, and, and he documents this, this zeal. So Paul was the least likely one to be turned changed and captivated by Jesus Christ because he thought Jesus was the enemy. But he was captivated by this, the beauty and the marvel of the amazing mountain of truth that represents who Jesus is. So again, the text says, verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, you know, I'm, I'm no Bible translator, uh, but this is one of those times where you wonder why they weren't a little bit more literal in their translation. Because the actual, you know, the New Testament was given to us in Greek. It was written in Greek. And this actual Greek reads this. Uh, actually, the prisoner of the Christ. 
And you know, what does the word Christ mean? I heard somebody say Messiah. It's the Greek word for Messiah. It means means anointed one. Christ means anointed. Messiah means anointed. What does Messiah mean? Anointed one. And so Paul the Apostle is saying, I'm the prisoner of the Messiah. (laughs) Do you get that? He's a Jewish fellow saying he has found the Messiah. He's not waiting for the Messiah. If you meet, uh, uh, and I love them, really, I have a a love and affection for Orthodox Jews today. And if you meet them, they're really looking for the Messiah. They want the Messiah to come. They want to rebuild the temple in Israel. uh, Because they, they can't keep their law without a temple. It's like huge chunks of their religion they can't do. Because there's no temple, right? So they have this like deep, burning urgency to, to have the Messiah come. And what Paul is saying, guys, I found the Messiah. I'm, in fact, I'm a prisoner. I'm the prisoner of the Messiah. Like He's proud of this, buddy. He's totally proud of it. Uh, and it's, it's truly captivating. And it's interesting, uh, it's the, the prisoner of the Christ, and you could say sort of comma, Jesus. Who is the Messiah? It is Jesus. Um, and he says, on behalf of you Gentiles. <laughs> Think of that for a minute. God in his great absolute, he's, he's, he, he defines wisdom. He is wise. He's going to, He's going to reach the Gentiles. But who does he choose? The guy who hates the Gentiles and is hated by the Gentiles. He's like totally the wrong guy, you know. Jesus, you've got to learn sociology here. You've got to learn cultural awareness, God. <laughs> if you want to reach somebody, you've got to find somebody within that culture who can fully understand uh, that culture, uh, okay, no, apparently not. <laughs> why? Why is this? <laughs> well, you know what? The gospel uh, is 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 supracultural, really. It's above all culture. It 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 speaks to all mankind, and it's. Uh, oh, I've been talking about this for a few weeks. It's this glorious leveling, really, of all humanity. Uh, you know, we love your culture. Uh, you you may not like my culture, but we. You know, culture's awesome, you know, delicious many times, weird tasting many times, like those heavy fish flavors in some Asian foods, like, no, 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 thanks. <laughs> just, just me, just me. <laughs> but what am I saying? I'm getting lost. I'm saying this, that so God in his absolute wisdom chooses a guy that's not culturally appropriate to preach the gospel, which is supracultural to everybody. It's for everybody. So don't let's not get stuck in our own little culture and think, well, I've got to be loyal to my culture because you have to rise out of, probably, if you're like me, your native culture is, is anti-Christ. And, and you have to raise above that and, and actually repent of your culture, some of it, some of your cultural heritage. 
is keeping you from Christ. So anyway, all of that is contained here. <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry, I'm getting a little uh, captivated. <laughs> that's, that's our word for the day. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And I want to pause for a minute and just expand this whole thing of captivation. He's a captive. He's a prisoner uh, of Jesus. And let's look at what changed him in Acts 9. I've referred to it not too long ago. But if you haven't looked at this in a while, read it with me. I'll read it. You can listen. Acts 9. Uh, We're just going to read a few verses. This is Paul's story. This is what pulled him out of his native culture to to be a a captive. He's captivated. He's a a prisoner of Jesus. Okay, so this is how it reads. Acts 9. But Paul, oh, I'm sorry, Saul. Uh, His name will be changed later. Shaul, probably the way he would have said his name. But Shaul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, this is the way. Uh, what's this talking about? It's talking about Christianity. It's, it's a new way of life. It's, it's a creed. It's something we absolutely believe, and it's truly captivating belonging to the way, men or women, no no, uh, gender bias here. (laughs) He's going to try to get any one of them. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Damascus, to Syria, barge into their synagogues and somehow thresh out who might believe in the Messiah, comma, Jesus, and arrest them, chain them up, and literally drag them back many days' journey to Jerusalem to face trial, and hopefully for him to to be killed in some way or another. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, hmm, there's the way and his way. God's going to make those two things consistent here in a little bit. He went on his way. He approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, oh, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. We've made this point many times. I think I made it pretty strong even last week. The church is the body of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So we ought to love the church. We ought to treat it with respect. We ought to be committed to the church. And we certainly shouldn't abuse it. We certainly should not persecute it, and he has been persecuting Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, 
and you will be told what you are to do. Aren't you glad for free will? <laughs> yes, God has free will. When he decides to save you, he will. And when he gives you something to do, it's a command. Uh, it's, uh, this is what you are to do. The men who, are, who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said to him, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. This is one of those you know, dicey prayers. Is he going to get away with this? <laughs> uh, Mary got away with it. He said, Lord, she said, Lord, how will this be? And he said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to conceive without normal human interaction. Um, Zacharias, on the other hand, the father of John the Baptist, had a little harder. He, uh, he asked the question, and God said, okay, that's it. I want to hear another word from you until this baby's born. You know, nine months later, he got to say something, and the first words, actually, he wrote it down before the words came out, right? His name is John. What? Not Zacharias? God told me to call him. Anyway, we digress a bit. But Ananias asked this tentative question, Lord, are you aware? <laughs> Excuse me, God, are you aware of my situation here? <laughs> Did you suddenly stop being all-knowing for a moment, all-present, all-wise? All anyway. Verse 15, but the Lord is gracious here, but the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul becomes the captive of, of Jesus Christ here. He's taken. Uh, he's, he's subservient to Jesus. He'll do what Jesus is telling him to do. Now let's go back to our text. And I also want to point out, this is a double meaning. He says, I am a prisoner of Christ, of the Messiah, the prisoner of the Messiah, comma, Jesus. He's actually in jail when he's writing this letter. We haven't made much of this point at all, but he literally is in jail. Uh, for one, chapter 4, Verse 1, right down there, he says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And then if you look at 6, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, 
6, 18 through 20, he says this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Look at this. Also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. You got what he's saying there? I'm in prison. I'm probably, he's probably literally chained. Why? For preaching the gospel. And he says, pray. He doesn't say, please pray for better food in the prison. Don't please pray for my release in prison. He says, please pray that I can keep up the offense that got me in this situation in the first place. He's captivated by a huge truth. By a huge truth that's that's worth being captivated over. So it's insignificant when he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Messiah, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And so he's going to expand on that. We only have a few minutes left uh, today. But let's look at this next aspect here. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And I read the original commissioning in Acts 9. That's when the stewardship of God's grace was given to me, he's saying to Paul, uh, for you. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, Stewardship, in the actual words of Scripture, stewardship of God's grace. It's kind of the idea of being a manager. Imagine a a really good manager. The the word in Greek, the word for house is oikos. You might know that. It's very common, pretty common in Greek. Oikos. And the word here is oikonomion. Namas is to rule, or the the law, literally. Um, You probably could figure that out eventually, too. Oikonomion. Oikonomion. What's it mean? It means house rule. To manage the house. Like if you like Downton Abbey, think of the, the, the chief, you know, the head butler. Right? He runs the house. He's like the Lord. Well, under the Lord, of course. But, he, right? He has all kinds of power. And he, makes, he wants to make everything as perfect as he can. Uh, and, but it's not his house. And, you know, far be it from him to go make changes to the house without the direction of the Lord, right? Well, that's this uh, idea. You have a house manager, a good manager. And Paul is saying, as he said in our communion text, I, I delivered to you what I received from the Lord. I'm not here create, making this stuff up. God didn't ask me to be innovative. God didn't ask me to to fix the message, to change it, to innovate. No. He said, this is the message. Take it and run with it. (laughs) This is the message. He says it was given by by revelation. Uh, 
how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It's just a slide that to me feels like revelation. <laughs> just the bright light, you know, that's kind of overcoming the, the glory. Uh, I'm a steward of the, this grace of God. I'm here representing this awesome news that, that levels all humanity. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And through the, the work of Jesus, you can be made right with God for eternity. And I'm here to, to represent that and tell you all about it. Uh, this was given to him by revelation. He literally received special revelation. Uh, we don't have time for the text for that today. But uh, he says in Galatians, uh, one he talks about his, his life history there, a little bio in Galatians 1. And he says after, after, he, after this conversion experience in Acts uh, 9, he, he made a kind of a quick trip to Jerusalem, and then he went off on his own. He was on his own for like three years. He said, I went to Arabia, out there in the desert sands. And, and then he plugged that in with 2 Corinthians 12. I made reference to this last week. He says, I received revelations. I was actually caught up into the third heaven. And he says, it was such a crazy experience because I don't even know if I was in the body or out of the body, but I received so much revelation up there, I can't even tell you what I learned. <laughs> it was truly captivating, though. And I am a steward of this grace which I have committed my life to communicate to you. Um, this revelation was not known to previous generations. Let's look at in, in our text. It's just right here. How the mystery, that's what mystery means. It's something that wasn't known before. Now it's known. Um, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Mystery of Messiah. Which was not made known to the sons of men of other generations. That's why we call it the, get it? New Testament. It's the new covenant. Testament means covenant. It's new revelation. We love the Old Testament. It's the basis of our faith. But when Christ came, there was new revelation. The Old Covenant didn't save anybody. It was just pointing people toward, there's something coming. If you have faith in God, He will, he will love you and save you. And then that something came, who is Jesus Christ the Messiah. The revelation was not made known to previous generations. In fact, look at here, it says, it has now been revealed to his holy apostles. Mm. And he, Paul's included in that. His holy apostles. They're set apart for this purpose. Uh, in a special way, the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why we believe what we believe, you see. This is the foundation of our faith. It, it came by revelation from God. The apostles say, I am delivering what I received from the Lord. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in them to, to teach them all truth. This is why we believe what we believe. And when he says holy prophets, apostles and prophets, the prophets there are not the Old Testament prophets. It, it's the New Testament prophets, which were speaking the word of God, revealing in the early church. We, we saw this in we saw this in two 
2.20, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, um, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then you see it also in, actually, 4.11. 4.11 kind of cinches the uh, argument there. 4.11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Now, what is this all saying? What we believe is based on the revelation of God. God has spoken. And that's why we trust it. It it comes through the Spirit, through the apostles. And the first generation was this, this outpouring of revelation through the apostles and the prophets. I believe fully that those gifts have ceased. There's not new revelation in this age. The New Testament is the completed revelation for this time period. There will be further revelation in the future uh, when we are in heaven. But the apostles and the prophets brought this. He has made it known. All right. So, what is the revelation? This is it, he says. What am I talking about here? This is what I've been talking about. The mystery is, see verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's a wonderful way of saying this is it. What is it? It's the good news. It's the gospel. You're not saved by works. We have this gospel to tell to all the world. You're uh, wrong if you think you're a little bit broken and that by a little bit harder effort on your own, you can make God happy and at the end he'll go, okay, you were pretty sincere. You're probably okay. I'll have mercy on you for goodness sakes. That's not the way it works. God says, when we sin, we are under the wrath of God. Something has to remove the wrath of God. And I don't care how good you are. It won't be removed by your works. That sounds like horrible news, but it's actually really good news because Jesus removed the wrath of God. He paid it in full. Just believe. That's the work. And that's a gift of God as well, my dear friend. So, summing it up, this is it. It is the gospel. We are called to join this stewardship, to be good managers. And and I think it's through this, preserving it. We preserve the gospel. It's People are uh, trying to adulterate it constantly, trying to add things into it all the time. The early church had this huge problem because all these saved Jews came in and said, well, we really want you to be circumcised. We really want you to keep the feasts. I mean, those feasts were really nice. And, and, and also, you really should keep the Sabbath. For example, you shouldn't watch a football game. <laughs> Actually, I have a friend saying that on, 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 on Facebook, of course. Uh, which is okay. It's fine. You don't have to watch the game. But we aren't Sabbath keepers. We aren't. The, the book of Colossians says, don't keep the Sabbath. Straight out, chapter 2. 
that's a part of the law. We don't, uh, I mean, we respect the Lord's day there. Now I'm getting into a very <laughs> complicated alley. Let's just back out of the alley, finish this sermon, and we'll all be good. <laughs> I, I, but we're called to preserve the grace of God. Don't mess it up with works. That's not grace. And we need to have grace toward each other. When, when, you know, some of you, God bless you, disagree with me. <laughs> we need to have grace for each other. Preserving this, that's what a good manager will do. And then passing it on. We don't preserve it just for us. We preserve it to give it away to the next generation. The Bible's about generations. We love our kids. I'm telling you, by God's grace, I'm hoping we're passing it on well. They're down in Sunday school. Your kids should be there early on in Sunday school. We're teaching them God created the heavens and the earth. That's how powerful our God is. Don't listen to that trash that there is no God and it happened by freak accident. We're, we're propagandizing your kids. <laughs> and I mean that in the best sense of the word. We're passing it on, passing on the grace of God. And then secondly, preaching it clearly. Paul believed in preaching the grace of God, and that's what we need to do as well. There's a real academic part about preserving and passing it on, but then there's a public reach out. We want to uh, reach, and that's why we pray for our missionaries every week, and remember that uh, we, we, have a, we have a television show this church has a television show. It's on cable TV five times a week in Monterey County if people are wise enough to have Comcast. <laughs> I'm against direct TV. I pray against it. Uh, <laughs> although, uh, anyway, I'm kidding. I'm uh, half kidding, for heaven's sake. But, but this sermon, in all its warts and everything, will be on TV, very possibly. Uh, you know, coming to a theater near you. <laughs> Why am I saying this? Pray for this. It's a little bit of a soapbox in the public square, and I'm preaching out there in some way. And I'm praying that God brings results. You know, it would be really, really cool to get in heaven and say, ah, oh, I heard the gospel from that little frog, you know, that crazy mixed-up program you put on the television. <laughs> all right. That's all I have to say. Let us apply that. Let's be stewards of God's grace. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for uh, your patience with us. Thank you for the conviction of sin. Thank you for the gift of holiness through Jesus. And we worship and praise you for all of your kindness. May we be captivated truly by your truth. May we sign up as prisoners to be slaves of righteousness. Lord, we want to be slaves of yours. Forgive us for being slaves to ourselves and our idolatry. Rooted out, O oh Lord God, rooted out thoroughly. And we thank you for this opportunity today on this very second day of February 2020. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
alone my hope is found 